Let me just begin by adding my own welcome. Um, I think I've said in this room before that uh, I owe a huge personal debt to many of you, to the Toon Lakes Fellowship. I have friends in this room who are uh, as dear to me as anyone under heaven, and uh, I know them because of Twin Lakes Fellowship. And uh, so it's an enormous privilege for me to, to serve you and to be with you today. Um, I'm so glad you're here. I want to, I want to be of use to you, um, not just right now, but uh, throughout these couple of days, if there are practical things, if you have any questions, if I can do anything, uh, don't hesitate to come and, uh, and, uh, and speak to me. Every year at the fellowship, if you've been with us before, um, you'll see at the beginning this opening address is focused on why are we here? What is the Twin Lakes Fellowship? What are our concerns? What's the vision? What is it we're trying to get done? What are we about? Um, the Twin Lakes Fellowship, I think, has been around for about 16 or so years as a ministry of the session of First Presbyterian Church and in partnership with a number of uh, leading pastors from around the PCA, and was established to provide a venue for fellowship and mutual encouragement for men in gospel ministry. If you look at the back few pages of the Twin Lakes Fellowship booklet that we've provided for you, you'll see the, the text, the complete text of what's come to be called the 15 Twin Lakes Talking Points. They were written by my predecessor and uh, one of my mentors, my friend Ligon Duncan, um, who was the convener of the fellowship since its inception, and they articulate very well a philosophy of ministry and a set of core convictions about the nature of faithful reformed ministry that we believe is vital, a vital necessity for church growth and church health in these days. I'm really not going to, uh, to take our time up by working through all 15 points, um, but I do want to take some time to reflect on who we are, why we're here, and then especially focus in on our theme for these few days together. And it might be best to begin as we try and answer those questions, what is the Twin Lakes Fellowship about, to say, first of all, what we are not, what we're not. Three things. First of all, um, over the years, there have been groups formed within the church at large, some of them secretive, some of them quite public in nature, whose objectives have been to steer their denomination in a particular political direction uh, through action in the courts of the church. The Twin Lakes Fellowship is not among them. We are not a lobby group. We are not a party within the PCA or any of our sister denominations. We're not here to strategize or maneuver for an ecclesiastical agenda in the courts of the church. Secondly, we've not gathered to be a venue for the disaffected who wish to complain and grumble about the state of things in their congregations or their denominations. It is, let's admit it, I think, a peculiar temptation of conservatives to adopt a purely defensive posture and then to focus on what they are most against. And uh, that posture, I think, tends to leave us 
needlessly exposed to uh, too much negativity, to hand-wringing and brow-furrowing. Um, as a Scotsman, I want you to know that negativity and hand-wringing and brow-furrowing is my cultural default setting. Um, so I do resonate with that sentiment and uh, temptation. Um, but I think, brothers, we need to remember the Pauline exhortation that says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And then thirdly, and having said all of that, neither is the Twin Lakes Fellowship merely a talking shop or a sounding board. We are not gathered here for abstract theological discussion or generic pastoral counsel. We do have an agenda and a mission. We do want to accomplish some things. There are things we want to get done in our churches, in one another's lives, and in our denomination, and around the world. What are some of those things? If that's what we're not, what are we? Well, first of all, we are a, we are a fellowship, not a conference. We are a pastor's fraternal. That is, I suppose, the converse of the exhortation to avoid grumbling and complaining. We uh, do recognize gospel ministry is hard. I've already, I've, I've spoken with some of you, and uh, it's clear you're here with deep wounds and carrying heavy burdens. Gospel ministry is hard, and it is costly. Some of you are weary, and you're here for rest. You need an oasis. You have been bruised in our Master's service. As encouraging, therefore, as the, uh, the large-scale conferences can be, it's our judgment that pastors need a little more. We need a band of brothers, don't we? Uh, we need a smaller group of men with a shared vision for ministry, with a shared zeal for the glory of God, who are going to stand with us and encourage us and hold up our arms and remind us again about truths that we confess that may uh, have stopped firing the engines of our ministry in the way that they ought to have been. And so we want to be a forum for the refreshing of pastors' souls and uh, church planters and missionaries to encourage you to stay in the fight and to press on. We want to be a, a center of resource, a meeting place in the context of which, as I said earlier, deep, lasting friendships can be found and forged and nurtured. We're jealous for you that God would bring you into uh, rich, engaging, strengthening relationships with men who share your convictions. That's why we're here. And secondly, we do have a vision for the recovery and the promotion of an approach to gospel ministry and church life that is centered on and has confidence in the ordinary means of grace. 
in question 153 of the Westminster Larger Catechism, which you have all, I know, thoroughly memorized. Uh, That was a joke. (laughs) Question 153 of the Larger Catechism, um, which talks about what God requires of us that we may escape His wrath and curse. The answer is given, He requireth repentance toward God faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ, and the diligent use of the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of His mediation. And when it then asks what those means are, it declares the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us, uh, to His church, the benefits of His mediation are all His ordinances, especially the Word, sacraments, and prayer, all which are made effectual to the elect for their salvation. The Word, the sacraments, and prayer are the outward ordinary means by which the benefits of the redemptive work of Christ's mediation are communicated to the people of God. They are the divinely ordained means for the gathering of the elect and the perfecting of the saints. And so we exist to encourage a passion for, a delight in, rich expository preaching week after week, verse by verse, book by book, proclaiming a whole Christ from a whole Bible. We stand for a high view of the pulpit as the central tool in the hands of the Holy Spirit for the conversion of sinners and the sanctification of saints. The catechism again The Spirit of God maketh the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, an effectual means of enlightening, convincing, and humbling sinners, of driving them out of themselves and drawing them unto Christ, of conforming them to His image and subduing them to His will, of strengthening them against temptations and corruptions, of building them up in grace and establishing their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. That is a magisterial definition of preaching as the central means of grace in the life of the local church. Notice especially the theology of evangelism the divines are teaching us there. Did you hear it? They consider the pulpit as the primary instrument for the conversion of sinners. Do you believe that about your preaching? Do you have confidence and do you expect God so to work by the faithful exposition of the Word of God and the clear presentation of the uh, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ that He will call people from death into life and out of darkness? and into His marvelous light. That is what God has ordained that preaching should do. The enlightening, convincing, and humbling of sinners, drawing them out of themselves, and drawing them unto Christ. It's not just that the divines believed that God would do that sort of regardless of the material or the focused application of their preaching, sort of along the way, automatically, regardless of whether the preacher aims at conversions or not, 
It is rather that they expected the preached word to go after the lost as well as the found, to help and comfort and strengthen the believer and awaken and arrest and compel the unbeliever to bend the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that the greatest need of the church of Jesus Christ in these days is for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit and outpouring of the Spirit upon the faithfully preached gospel, well applied to the lost and to the found by holy men who resemble with growing clarity the image of the Savior that they proclaim. That's what we want to see. That's why we're here. And uh, not to dismiss the sacraments and their critical importance for the life of the church, but let me say a word about, particularly about prayer. Uh, those of you who were here uh, last time on the Monday evening, Dr. Kelly gave a magnificent address and exhortation to us to return to prayer with renewed zeal for the glory of God and trust in His promises, and particularly to return to the prayer meeting. Prayer is a means of grace. We want to advocate for corporate congregational prayer in your churches. Um, If you haven't listened to Dr. Kelly's message, let me encourage you to, to be sure to get a copy of it or to download it from the internet. It will do your soul good, and it will help your ministry, and it will help your church as you learn from it. It's been an impression of mine. I don't know what you think about this. I wonder if you've seen this. But it's certainly been my impression that around the church, um, the, the, the prayer meeting, the corporate congregational prayer meeting, is a vanishing gathering today. Um, it's almost withered and died. In, in churches that are clear about the gospel, that are robust in their commitment to reform theology, piety, and practice, there's little emphasis on the people of God storming the gates of heaven for the advancement of the kingdom of Christ and the conversion of the lost. When we do gather, uh, it's often for other things, isn't that right? Small group ministries, not to, do, to belittle small groups. All sorts of other midweek activities, because the prayer meeting, let's be clear, is uncomfortable. It's a little awkward. People need help praying. But we want, we want to promote that as something that in Scripture and in history, again and again, God has been pleased to bless um, a casual glance through the book of Acts will reveal a very different picture, I think, of the place of corporate congregational prayer in the church than we commonly see around us today. Almost at every major juncture in the unfolding storyline of the book of Acts, with each new phase of persecution, as missionaries are called and set apart, as new frontiers are crossed in the advancement of the kingdom. The church, you see the church gathering to pray and lift their voices with one accord to God. The Spirit poured out in renewed power on the preached word as the church prayed, persecution faced down, and holy boldness given to proclaim Christ as the church prayed, cell doors unlocked 
Gentiles gathered in as the church prayed. We want to model vital, vibrant, corporate, congregational prayer in the churches. So, uh, tomorrow morning, Dr. Kelly will lead us in a, in a prayer meeting and uh, help us see what that looks like. And I want to encourage you uh, to make that something you give your attention to and come ready to participate in with joy and urgency and boldness. Dr. Liam Golliker, senior minister at 10th Prez, is going to open the scriptures to us and warm our hearts and remind us of who God is so that we may be able to go boldly to the throne of grace. I hope that will be a real highlight of our time together. So we're committed to a philosophy of ministry centered around the due use of the ordinary means of grace. And that's not to say simply that we affirm these things, the Word and the sacraments and prayer. Everyone affirms them, don't they? But it is rather to say something else. We believe the Word and the sacraments and prayer describe and define our philosophy of ministry. They are the engines of church growth and church health and they leave everything else redundant. It is an expression of confidence in God and in His promises, not to run after all sorts of alternatives, but to rest content with the preaching of the Word, the praying of the promises of Scripture, and the gospel made visible in bread and wine and in the waters of baptism. God has promised to bless these means, to gather in the elect and grow the church. And we want you to have confidence, not in them, but in the God who promises to work by them for His great glory. We don't for a moment dismiss the need to be culturally sensitive or to make appropriate adjustments to language in the interests of good communication. We want to do all of this with sensitivity and an eye to the salvation of the lost. And yet it is our longing, our desire to see an army of men leading churches, planting new churches in the United States and all over the globe, whose faith in God's promises and in God's perfect sovereignty finds practical expression in a simple childlike confidence in the means He has appointed for kingdom advancement. And then thirdly, in addition to a commitment to and passion for simple, scriptural, spiritual worship in the life of the church and the use of the means of grace, we're concerned for a renewal in Reformed piety and practice in the Christian life in general, in the the life of our congregations, but particularly in the lives of gospel ministers. So we want to encourage a love for a well-spent Sabbath day. Do you love the Lord's Day, brothers? It is a mark of someone whose heart hungers for more of Christ, that they love the Lord's Day. That they love and strive to practice family worship for diligence and personal devotions. I, I hear often, even in our own circles, that the idea of self-discipline in private prayer and Bible reading is really legalistic. Christians for 1,500 years 
Don't you know Christians for 1,500 years didn't have a Bible? We're told. So how could they have a quiet time? It's ridiculous. You don't need to have a quiet time. Now, I agree, quiet time is a dreadful phrase for a man's devotional life. I'm not sure it should really ever be terribly quiet. But the sentiment's right, don't you think? Um, You remember the exhortation of the Apostle Peter, like newborn babes, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Christians are to hunger for the Word like newborn babies hunger for their mother's milk, which is to say there's something terribly, terribly wrong in your soul if you do not, if you do not ache to know God in His Word more and more. If you're, if you're finding ways to sound superior while you excuse your neglect of Holy Scripture. Whatever the fathers did or did not have by way of access to the text of Scripture, we have an embarrassment of riches, don't we? When it comes to translations, editions, new editions of the Bible, study Bibles galore, God in His providence has put His text put the text of His Word in our hands. How dare we neglect its use? How, how dare we neglect its use? We have a blood-bought path to the throne of grace. Christ died, brothers, that with Abba Father on your lips, you might go with boldness to God's throne. And we say, I don't need to pray every day. That's binding my conscience. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then, since we are so weak, not excuse our neglect of the Word and of prayer. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have the ear of God and the mouth of God whenever we need them, whenever we want them. If I can put it plainly, Brothers, a minister who has no concern to build disciplines into his life to help him be daily in the Word and daily on his knees ought not to be a minister. I think we can actually go further than that. A minister who has no appetite at all for the Bible as vital food for his soul or for prayer as the desperate cry of his heart may not be a Christian. He may not be converted. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted the Lord is good. If you've tasted the goodness of the Lord, how could you not want more? 
again and again in Paul's exhortations to the Thessalonians, we find him reminding the Thessalonian believers of his own manner of conduct, unembarrassed to be a model to the believers of growing Christian faithfulness. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 1, verse 5. You yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Chapter 2, verse 1. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. Verse 5. You remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. Verse 9. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you, believers. Verse 10. Gospel ministers are meant to be examples of the transforming power and work of the gospel itself working in a person's life. You are God's visual aid. As you proclaim Christ and the people of God look at you and know you and see your manner of conduct, they are to see in you what the message you proclaim does in a life. And so we long to call gospel ministers to the pursuit of holiness, of likeness to Christ. That's the theme of our fellowship together over these few days. We're using that great quotation from McShane, who was writing to young ordinands for gospel ministry. He said, study universal holiness of life. Your whole usefulness depends upon this. Your sermons, uh, those were different days, don't get too many ideas. I'm sure your congregation won't thank you. He said, your sermons last an hour or two, but your life preaches all the week. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. Would you join me in these few days that we have together in praying for one another? For, for ourselves, for our own hearts, that God would wield His Word with power among us and slay sin and bring us to our knees, bring us to repentance, and then rivet our eyes on Christ and all that He has done that we may receive His mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. There has been a welcome beginning, and praise God for the Gospel Reformation Network, a welcome beginning made in our circles in recovering a robust Reformed doctrine of sanctification. We need it urgently. But as I look at my own heart, as you look at yours, wouldn't you agree there remains a great deal more work to be done in recovering the practice of it? Talk is cheap. We are called to be men of God. You know, I believe, I believe in revival. I long for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on our churches, 
that the ordinary means, which uh, sometimes they're like a, a fishing line, you catch one or two. Isn't that how it is in many of our churches in these days? As we seek to be faithful, God is pleased to bless, and we catch one or two. But when God, in unusual times of blessing, pours out His Spirit, it's more like a dragnet, and many are gathered in. Long for such days. Praying for such days. And yet it's my conviction that there are conditions that are often required to be met in the life of the church before God is pleased to bless His church in such a way. And I'm sure one of them will be marked and manifest likeness to Christ in the lives of those men who are called to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to the world. So, our hope for this short time that we have together is for refreshing, it's for laughter, for the joy of Christian fellowship, for the mutual encouragement of being reunited with friends and fellow laborers in the hard task of gospel ministry. But more than that, there's a bigger, bigger vision. It is to have our hearts moved with a renewed longing to be more like Jesus in our homes, in our marriages, with our wives, with our children, with our people, with our elders and our deacons. What we are on our knees before God. What a man is on his knees before God, that is he and nothing more. I think that's another McShane quote. So, would you pray with me as we pray for each other that God would come among us and wield His Word and call us back to Christ, that we might be the men He's called us to be, useful instruments, awful weapons in the hands of God. Let's pray together. Oh, our Father, we bow down and we confess that we use, we use many things to cover our, our lack of likeness to the Savior. We use our gifts as substitute for godliness. We use theological discussion as a diversion from prayer. We appeal to our justification to silence the accusations of conscience without any careful resolve to change patterns of persistent besetting sin in our lives. We hide behind our ministries We have not kept short accounts with you. We have failed to hunger for the pure spiritual milk that we may grow up thereby unto salvation. We've neglected the cultivation of our own souls even while we've handled sacred things and sought to cultivate the souls of others. Have mercy on us, O God. Pour out your Spirit upon us 
Bring us anew to the end of ourselves. Bring us again to Calvary, to the infinite merits and sufficiency of Christ. Equip us by your Spirit to live for his glory with renewed power and joy and zeal and urgency. And make us indeed awful weapons in your hand. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.